Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Do you remember that kid growing up? who always got into trouble. He or she might as well have been the lead role in the Little Rascals. Once again, I date myself. They were always doing something to someone to cause a problem. Some of you are going, that was me. I was that person. Well, I've got great news for you. This story is going to give all of us a lot of hope about the gracious God that we have who never gives up on us. Because how many of you, when you were younger, made a lot of mistakes? Can I get an amen? How many of you look back on your youth going, oh my goodness. Like when you think about what you did, you cringe. How many of you did that just last week? Don't raise your hand. Or how many of us have a prodigal? A youth who was tempted in the world, grew up in the church, forsook the Lord, And now you as the parent, you're praying desperately. That was Jacob. That was Jacob. From the time he was born, he was causing a problem. In fact, his name, Jacob, means heel catcher. Because as Esau was coming out of the womb, he grabbed Esau's ankle Because he was trying to pull him back so he could beat him out of the womb. (laughs) Rebecca. I mean, even before he was born, Jacob was causing problems. So much so, like we discussed last week, there was no 4D sonogram and Rebecca went to God. What is going on inside my womb? Oh, you have a Jacob. And as he grew... We know only one fact about his childhood. It's Genesis chapter 25. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Genesis chapter 25. I'll read it for you. Verse 27. The one and only fact that we know necessarily as a matter of fact about his youth. Verse 27. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but... Jacob. Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now this word mild, it's a smooth man. And Jewish scholars have debated over and over again, what does it mean about Jacob that he was a smooth man? Was he, Esau was a hairy man and was he a hairless man? But we know this word mild or smooth, it's used in another area of scripture, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. Aha, the Jewish theologian would say that what the Holy Spirit is trying to get across about Jacob is that he was a smooth talker. He was smooth. Oh, he could sell you land in the, mid- in the middle of Death Valley National Park. And you would think that you were buying an oasis. In fact... 
in a matter of six verses, he swindled the birthright from Esau away from him over beef stew. You need to remember something about Jacob. He was the favorite of his mother, Rebekah. And as he and Becky were hanging out under the tent making soup, they were talking. She would tell him, don't worry. God told me that you will rule over Esau. Don't worry that he's a big old hairy brute and he always brings the deer and you got to stay here and skin it and cook it. Don't you worry about how he always beats you in football and soccer and basketball because one day, don't you worry, my favorite son, let me tell you, you're going to rule over Esau. Jacob knew. Jacob knew that the birthright was his according to God. And so he acted on his own, just like his grandpa Abraham, and he swindled it from Esau instead of waited on God. He wanted all the material, all the spiritual double portion that came with the birthright. And instead of waiting on God and doing it God's way in God's time, he did it his way. He smooth-talked it right out of Esau's hand. Now, Esau sold his birthright for beef stew. I know with my adult children, it's amazing to me how the consequences are so much greater over one flesh decision. And so, Esau, he lost his birthright. Just because God allowed it, and just because God reports it in the Word of God, it doesn't make it right. It's like the man that came to me and asked, uh, 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 said to me, Solomon had a lot of wives. Does that mean that we should have a lot of wives? No, the Bible is pointing out that Solomon was a big dummy. <laughs> and God doesn't hide what, when his people do things, he wants us to see them so that we don't follow that example. In fact, we're going to see Jacob has a long road ahead of him to learn God's way, and he's going to learn it the hard way because Jacob is a heel catcher. Not only that, Jacob was deceitful. In his youth, his own mother tempts him to deceive his father. She wants him to have what she believes God said is for you. And Rebecca doesn't wait on God. And she wants to deceive her husband Isaac. There are so many temptations in our youth. And as I started the Bible study, there are things that we gave in to temptation when we were younger. Even younger in our faith, wondering what in the world were we doing? And once again, Jacob... He smooth-talks his way into stealing the blessing from Esau as well, and he lies to his father. And while he's there with his father, he even invokes God's name to deceive his father, knowing that calling on God's name would be the sure way to convince Isaac, I am Esau. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 20, when Isaac asks the question, how did you get this meat so quickly, Esau? Because you sound a lot like Jacob. Jacob said, because of the Lord your God brought it to me. Whoa. Smooth talking, Jacob. Because of what he did. He had to run for his life because Esau wanted to kill him. So Rebekah sends him to, his, to her brother. But on his way, God meets Jacob in a place called Luz. Now remember, Jacob was a mama's boy. Never been on his own. Never been out hunting in the field. He was just not that guy. Now he's on a journey alone. He's lonely. Afraid. Now Jacob is wondering about his future. He's got the birthright. He's got the blessing, but he's got no life. And Jacob falls asleep and he uses a rock as a pillow. Talk about desperate. God gives him a vision. 
He gives them a vision of a ladder with angels going up and down on it. And what God is letting Jacob know is that he's still at work on the earth despite the fact that you messed up. I'm still at work here. And he informs Jacob, I'm in a covenant with you. I'm in a covenant with you. And he renews the Abrahamic covenant to and through the line of Jacob. And God is letting Jacob know that he's with him. And his journey as faith has just begun. Well, (laughs) Jacob's so shocked by the grace of God, knowing what he's done in this lonely and dark hour, he says, surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't even know it. Has God ever showed up to you in a dark hour? Has God ever reminded you of the promises that he has for you, even though you messed up? God promises him that he'll be with him, and God promises him, I'm going to bring you back. And let me tell you what God was really saying. You're about to go on a spiritual journey, you and me. And you've got a lot of lessons to learn, Jacob, but don't you worry about it. After this journey, I'm going to bring you back. And you know how Jacob responds? He's still a smooth talker. Jacob responds to God, and he goes, if you do give me all these promises, then... I will serve you. Sounds like the high school student. If you just help me pass this test, then I'll go to church every Sunday. I promise I will obey my mother and my father. I will even be kind to my sister and give her my cake. Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. Ever done that before? If you'll just let me marry her, then all of our children will worship you. Have you ever bargained smooth-talking God? God doesn't denounce Jacob. But Jacob then renames the place from Luz to Bethel, the house of God. God showed up. But Jacob hasn't learned his lesson. Off he goes to Uncle Laban. He, He deceives his own uncle who deceived him. You see, Uncle Laban deceived Jacob into marrying his older daughter Leah before he married his younger daughter Rachel, though Jacob was in love with Rachel. And guess how many years of service he was able to work out of Jacob by deceiving him? Not just seven years, but another seven years for Rachel. And the Bible says he worked 14 years. And when those 14 years were finished, Uncle Laban had gotten so rich because of Jacob's ability to shepherd the sheep. He didn't want him to leave. Jacob, he uses as an opportunity for his own benefit to get Uncle Laban back. And Jacob smooth-talked his uncle, swindling him out of his own herd, making himself wealthy and his uncle Laban poor. Go get him, Jacob. You ever been driving on the 405 and someone cut you off? And then you just turn around and cut them off back. Be careful, there may be little Jacob in all of us. <laughs> Jacob's got some character flaws. So much so, later in his life, and I'm talking almost two decades later, he leaves Laban. He hears that his brother Esau is coming for him with 400 men. So you know what Jacob does in today's equivalent? He sends hundreds of thousands of dollars of gifts ahead of himself to save his life with his smooth acting. He wants Esau to know, I don't want the birthright. I don't want the blessing. I got my money. I stole from Laban. I'm good. Don't kill me. Please don't kill me. So concerned this plan may not work. He divides his family into two companies, hoping that when one is dying, the other one can escape. Jacob! And he reveals the company that he's willing to sacrifice by sending Leah and her children in the first company to go meet Esau. Then he sends Rachel, the wife that he supposedly loves, and he decides, I'll be in the back. You guys go first. This is Jacob. His boys, 
His boys follow very close behind. For it's found in Genesis chapter 34, Jacob comes into the promised land after leaving Laban, and his daughter, she gets taken advantage of by the king of Shechem's son. So the two boys, Simeon and Levi, they come up with a great plan. Simeon and Levi to say, hey, why don't you let them be us? Just let all the men get circumcised. Oh, Jacob loves the idea. There'll be more into the clan, more soldiers, more protection, more money. I love it. Oh, I'm going to be a king. I love the idea. Simeon and Levi knew how to tickle Jacob's ear. Three days into the circumcision, might I add, no anesthesia. Might I add, no neosporin. Can all the men say, ouch. The guys are all sitting there going, ouch. And Simeon and Levi go into Shechem and they kill every male because the king of Shechem's son took advantage of their sister. And I want you to see Jacob's response. It's Genesis chapter 34. Take a look at verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and the, since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Who is Jacob concerned about? himself. You've done this to me. He ain't talking about Leah, Rachel, and her children. He's not talking about the concubines that he's created a little uh, 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 children frenzy of who can have this child and who can have that child. Think of what was going on in this man's home. But I want you to remember something. God met him at Bethel. And God said to Jacob, I'm sending you on a spiritual journey. You see, Jacob lacked godly character. Jacob lacked godly conduct, and Jacob lacked godly behavior. And Jacob's story should provide hope for everyone sitting in this room. Everyone sitting in this room. Because God's not finished with us yet. And he's put each and every single one of us on a spiritual journey. Jacob has spent his whole life wrestling with God and wrestling with God's will for his life. So the Lord, because he's not listening, the Lord gets his attention with his brother coming for him with 400 men. And I found in my own story and in many others, that the Lord will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis chapter 32, we see the night before Jacob is going to run into Esau. He's already sent the gifts, and Esau sent them back. I don't want them. This must put fear in Jacob. So much so, it drove him back to the house of God. It drove him back to the presence of God. Genesis chapter 32, we'll pick it up in verse 22. And he arose that night, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. So he sent them over with all the gifts that Esau sent back. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, in your Bible, maybe it's as in my Bible, the letter M in man is capitalized. Let me tell you why. Jesus loves people so much that before he came to earth as a baby, sometimes he would show up in the Old Testament just to be with people. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. And let me prove it to you. Genesis chapter 32, just scroll your finger down to verse 28. 
And the man says, he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God, he calls himself God, and with men, and have prevailed. So we know that he's a, he calls himself God. He, we know this is a pre-incarnate Christ. Church, we've got to get alone with the Lord. We've got to spend time with God. When he gets our attention, Charles Stanley says this, the quickest solution to any problem is the distance of your knee to the floor. When God gets our attention, get alone with the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But be ready for a fight. Be ready for the Lord to deal with us. Because take a look what happens with Jacob and the man. The Bible says in verse 25, Now when he... Excuse me. Uh, uh, sorry. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, take a look, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. You know what I love about God? He will always meet us wherever we're at. To Abraham, the pilgrim, God showed up as a traveler. To Joshua, the soldier, God showed up as the captain of the heavenly hosts. And to Jacob, the wrestler, he suited up and entered into the ring. He'll always show up the way that he needs to for our benefit. Jacob wrestled with his brother Esau. Jacob wrestled with his father. Jacob wrestled with Laban. Jacob had wrestling going on with his wives. And in Psalm chapter 18, verse 26, listen to what God says. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. God will outsmart you. He'll outsmart you every single time because he's God. That's why I love reading the story about the Pharisees when they came up with all those questions. Are you serious? You don't think he was in the room listening to you devise the questions, much less already had the answer? You are trying to question and outsmart God. It's not possible. And the Bible says that Jacob wrestled with the man to the break of day. Let me tell you something about Jacob's flesh. Jacob's flesh was strong. Take a look at Genesis chapter 32, verse 25. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched, that's the man, touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he, and let me add this word, continued wrestling. That's the Hebrew with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not, Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The idea that the man, the Lord, did not prevail, it reveals the stronghold of flesh in Jacob's life. You see, he had his... Jacob had fed his flesh his whole life. And he was unwilling to give up until he got what he wanted. Unless you bless me, I'm not giving up. Because Jacob got what always what Jacob wanted. And even if he had to lie, even if he had to call on God's name, he was going to get what he wanted. Because Jacob's flesh was strong. So the Lord touches the socket of his hip. Jacob was so strong-willed that even as he's wrestling like this, he still doesn't give up. It's like your two-year-old. They're trying to get you, and you're just holding them down by, on their chest, on the ground, right? And they're on the ground trying to get up just to wrestle with you. They think they can overpower you. So did Jacob. His flesh and the stronghold of his flesh was so strong, he didn't want to give up. I got a question for you. Do you have any of these kind of strongholds in your life that Jesus has been trying to deal with for a long time? And it's so strong in your life, even though he's hurt you a little bit, you're still holding on. 
stronghold. Things you're just not willing to give up to the Lord. Genesis 32, verse 27. So the man, he says to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. I love the Lord. The Lord confronts Jacob with himself. Church, I'm going to ask you two questions. Here's the first one. Who are you? And here's the second one. No, really. Who are you? You see, when I ask the first question, you're going to respond with what you want people to think you are. But when I ask the second question, you got to dig a little bit deeper. Who are you? What's your name? Jacob. You're right. You're a trickster. You're a deceiver. You're a smooth talker. And the Lord reveals Jacob to himself. Something happens in Jacob's heart. Now, we don't know what happens in Jacob's heart, but we know something happens because the Lord knows Jacob's heart. And at this moment, because God knew something was happening in Jacob's heart, God changes his name to Israel. Something's happening, Jacob. I just confronted you with sin. You're convicted No longer are you the deceiver. You're governed by God. It's the thing that's happening in your heart right now with the thing that you've not given up. God's speaking to you. And when he spoke to Jacob, something happened in Jacob's heart. Well, even Jacob. Jacob had gotten to this obvious place of surrender and the Lord knew it. Jacob even realizes that something is going on. Look at verse 29. So Jacob asked, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. This is Jacob's first test. I'm not giving you what you want. Can you handle that? Can you handle that? And Jacob does. Yay! He passes one spiritual test. We're on the way to recovery. We are on the way to redemption. Because one decision of righteousness can change the course of your life. One decision of righteousness. In Genesis chapter 29, going on, he says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Oh my goodness, I lived. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Jacob realized, oh my goodness, (laughs) I've been with God. So amazed by the grace of God that he survived... He's overwhelmed. Hey, church. There's a story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Now, that's the names you know them as. But if I was to give you their Hebrew names, and I'd say, hey, do you know Ahaziah? Do you know Mishael? If I were to give you their Hebrew names, some of you would go like, well, well who is that? But as soon as I say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everyone knows who they are. That was the name that the enemy gave them. Because the enemy is always trying to change your God-given identity. Always. He's always trying to move you from the person he's created you to be to lie to you and tell you, you're not really this, you're this. You're not male, you're female. He's always trying to change identity. He's always trying to say to you a lie because that's his goal. But God, 
is always trying to give you his name. And Jacob's name was changed from trickster, smooth talker, heel catcher to governed by God. And let me tell you what God was telling Jacob. You are no longer defined by your past. You are new in Christ. Something happened in your heart. You made a righteous decision, and you're no longer defined by your past church. He's only breaking you to give you your new name. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. You see, the New Testament calls this dying to self. It's a gruesome process. Just try and be crucified. Just try being crucified. Just get up on the cross for just five minutes. I'm telling you, it is not easy. It's a daily act of surrender. It's recognizing we all got a lamp. Every blessed one of us. And every single one of us have a weakness so that we can be dependent on God to walk by faith. Paul called his a daily death. A daily death. Death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I affirm by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. This is what he says. When God called him to pick up his cross, Paul says, I die daily. I struggle with my flesh each and every day, and each and every day I've got to make a decision to die daily. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Look what God put Paul through to get him to the place to realize he needed to die daily. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of, may be of God and not of us. In other words, God wants us to recognize we're weak and he's strong. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. God got my attention by, I'm perplexed but I'm not in despair. God got my attention. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Look what he says. The result of all this suffering, the result of this chastening, the result of God getting Paul's attention, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death, For Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. God knows that we need to know our limp so that we can allow him in our weakness to be strong. I want you to see how Jacob responds. Remember I told you something happened to his heart and God knew it. It's not recorded in the Bible, but God changed his name because God only knows what's going on in Jacob's heart. And we see the impact of this in Genesis 35. Go there with me, Genesis chapter 35. I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 35. Remember God's promise when he fled from Esau, I'm bringing you back to Bethel. Remember that. Now in Genesis chapter 35, God's true to his word. He's always true to his word. Verse 1, then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God saying, I told you I'm true to my word. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him. Now you got to remember, this is after he thought he was going to die by Esau. This is after he thought he'd never get away from Laban. This is after all of his trials and tribulations where he thought God could never come true with his word. God says, get up and go to Bethel. I'm true to my word. I told you I'd come through for you. And Jacob responds, and he said to his household and to all who were with him, take a look, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves And change your garments. Then let us rise and go up to Bethel, the house of God. And I'll make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Did you see that? Jacob responds to the grace of God three ways. He tells his family, Rachel, who was hiding a a foreign god under her saddle. 
cute little Rachel. Remember when daddy came and said, you guys have any gods? Um, Dad, I can't get up. I've got my period. That's what she said. She goes, I can't get up. Meanwhile, underneath her is the foreign god that she stole. Sweet, cute little Rachel. She deceived her father because her husband was a deceiver. Jacob finally says, put away the foreign gods. Let me tell you what Jacob says. I've experienced the grace of God. No more compromise in my life. And then he says, purify yourselves. And what he's saying, it's time to repent. We were all going our way. Now we're going God's way. So it's time to purify ourselves. The third thing he says is this. Change your garments. Because if you've got repentance, things about you will change. With this in mind of Jacob's life and story, head back with me now to Hebrews chapter 11. Head back there with me now. Let's read this just a little bit differently. Hebrews chapter 11, we've got Jacob's background. We've been filled in on the Old Testament. And there's so much more about Jacob I wish I could share. But with the background you have, by faith, verse 21, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, he blessed and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. We've got to remember something, gang. These guys were dying for their faith. They were dying for their faith. And what the writer of Hebrews is getting across is this. We're to be dead already. We're to be dead already. You see, the Apostle Paul had a motto of his life. It's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm dead already. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My response to the grace of God is, Paul dies, Christ lives. That's my response to the grace of God. You see, physical death merely becomes the opportunity to go to heaven because I'm dead already. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's basically giving them a manual on how to die. Jesus sanctioned martyrdom. He said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body. Do you remember that in Matthew 10? Now, I know in our great United States of America, this concept is so foreign to us. But what the writer of Hebrews is doing is saying, when Jacob was dying, and I know you're dying, I know you're being killed in the gladiator's arena. I know they're killing your children, and I know they're killing your husbands and your wives. And when Jacob was dying, I want to let you know how to die well. Can you imagine if I wrote that letter to the church? So what I want to do is make it a little bit applicable to us, because dying for our faith might be a little bit like, well, that's like in another country. But maybe for us, tonight it's the death of ourselves. And I want to give you an instruction manual on how to die to yourself. And the first example he gives is, Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph. When he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Now, you can read this story later. Remember, I only gave you only a smidgen of Jacob's life. But in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is a ripe old 147 years old, and he's on his way to glory. He's on his way to glory. He's blind as a bat. And so Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, for them to be blessed by their father. Because, let me tell you, Reuben and Simeon have been put out. No longer is Reuben getting the, the, the birthright because he slept with one of Jacob's wives. So you're out of here, Reuben, and I'm going to replace you with Joseph's children. So Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And he puts Manasseh under Jacob's right hand because Manasseh's the oldest. And he puts Ephraim, the younger, underneath Manasseh's, uh, underneath Jacob's left hand because the right hand was the hand that would bless the birthright and the, uh, give the blessing to that child. So Joseph shoved Manasseh under the right and shoved Ephraim under the left. And when Jacob goes to bless them, he knows what Joseph has done, but he's blind as a bat. He's blind as a bat. He can't see, but he acts in faith, and he crosses his hand as the Spirit leads him. And he makes a cross. He makes a cross. And you can't ignore that in the Bible. And when he puts his hand on Ephraim, he says this. His descendants shall become a multitude of nations. This is deceiving Jacob being used by God. I need to let you know something about this word nations. This word nations is not the typical Hebrew word for nations. This word transliterated is the word Gentiles. Jacob makes the sign of the cross and says to the younger, many more Gentiles will come to the faith than Jews because of the cross. You see, Manasseh was the first, like the Jews received the gospel first. But the greater crop in this dispensation of grace has been the Gentiles. We're to make the Jew jealous. His act of faith, deceiving Jacob, used by God so profoundly, was to point towards the power of the cross. While he was dying, Jacob walked by faith, not by sight. This is the first step to dying to self. We follow the example of the cross and put to death the things of the flesh. It's the example of Jacob. And I need you to think about the pressure that Jacob was under. Think about his favorite flesh. His favorite flesh was Joseph. And Joseph says, Jacob, Daddy, you got your hands messed up, man. You got to put your other hand on Manasseh. But you got to get rid of this whole cross thing. Sounds just like Peter. You'll never go to the cross, Jesus. Joseph was Jacob's favorite flesh. Joseph was Jacob's chocolate. Think of the pressure that Jacob was being called to. And Jacob chose to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says this. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, I want to give you the second way to die. Remember, he's talking about physical death. I'm talking about you spiritually laying your life down. He then says this. Jacob worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. This story is actually found in Genesis chapter 47. You can read about it later. Before Jacob dies, he brings Joseph. Joseph, I'm dying. Here's the deal. Don't bury me in Egypt. Take my bones out of Egypt. See, God promised Jacob and his people the promised land. But Jacob was dying in Egypt. And he still believed the promise despite the fact he was dying. 
He even adopted the two sons of Joseph as his own, and he blessed them with a double portion of land, and they're still living in Egypt. Do you know why he blessed them with a double portion of land, even though they're living in Egypt? Because he trusted that God would do what God said he would do. If God said that one day I'd be back to Bethel, and I was back to Bethel, and God said that we would have that promised land, even though we're living in Egypt, take my bones out when he brings us back. And the boys, you get a double portion when we get there. He trusted God's word. He trusted God's word. And after Jacob makes his request, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 47, he rolls over on his bed, gets on his knees, and worships. Get a 147-year-old man. Imagine the scene. And though Jacob was dying, he believed he would be in the promised land. And at this point in his life, let me tell you something about Jacob. He's completely surrendered. There is nothing he can do to swindle his way out of this one. He's going to die. All he could do was trust God for his future. That's all he could do. So when you're standing in the gladiator's arena and they're going to kill you, there's a promised land you're heading to. Believe in God. That's what he's writing. And the writer is encouraging them to be like Jacob. Though you're dying for your faith, trust that God said there's a heaven and that Jesus Christ said that he died for you. And the same way that he rose to be with God the Father, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That's what he's trying to get across. But the writer is also giving us another key on how to die to ourselves. He worshiped God by leaning on his staff. He had come to the place in his life that worship was finally his priority on his deathbed. The only thing that mattered to him at this point was to honor God. I've been at many of these deathbeds. I've been at many of them. Can you imagine, 147-year-old man, what it took for him to roll over on that bed? Let me tell you what it took. It took all of his heart, all of his mind. It took all of his soul, and it took all of his strength. But the only thing that mattered to Jacob in his life at this point of 147 years was to worship God. God had finally become first in Jacob's life, and Jacob was now last. So Paul writes this. In Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, of all that he's done for you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, NIV, act of worship. Can you give it all your heart? all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength to make him first. Colossians chapter 1, I need to remind you of something. He is first. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he should have preeminence in your life. He should be first. So I wonder tonight, can we all purpose to maybe adopt the motto of the Apostle Paul? I have been crucified with Christ. Surprise! I still get to live. But the life that I now live, I live by faith. I let Jesus just flow right out of me. Because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, because he gave himself for me, I give myself to him. It's just my natural response because of the great grace of God in my life. So church, here's what I did. I just gave you a manual on how to die. For the church in Hebrews, 
they were facing the gladiators' arena. For us, we go to the dock over in San Pedro. We walk into Walmart behind a cashier, a cash register. We show up to work. We're in front of our kids at school. Though we may not be asked in our country at this point to give our lives for the gospel, we're supposed to be dead already. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Great things you've done, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Every sermon I teach, I always teach to Pastor Zach first. And at the end of this one, he looked at me and he goes, okay, that's heavy. And I said, imagine what they were going through and how encouraging this must have been to see that Jacob finally got it. Now, I need to say something, a disclaimer. Do you remember the beginning of the study and I said, do you remember the things you did when you were younger and everybody went, oh, God. Do you remember that? You can take this Bible study and you can actually pervert it. Well, Jacob changed when he was dying, so I'm going to wait until I die. Why squander the breath that he's given you? Why squander the abundant life he has for you? Why not give him life, your life today? When we read Jacob's story, we're embarrassed. It's like, are you serious? Do you know that he had like a wife swap? He had his wives competing about how many children they would give birth to. It's like embarrassing. It's like Orange County Housewives right in the Bible. Deceived his dad. Deceived his family member, Laban. Like, who wants that story? So why not just choose for the chapters of your life to read a little bit different? And Jacob changed when the Lord challenged him. What's your name? I'm not telling you my name, but I'll still bless you. I'm not giving you what you want. Jacob made a righteous decision. One righteous decision changed his whole life. And he went back to Bethel. Maybe tonight is your one righteous decision. So here's what we're going to do. We're not going to close in worship because it's heavy. And I want it to stay that way. Because I want us to think. Amen? In Jesus' name, the church said. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.